Hello from Yerushalayim and Beit Shemesh. Benjamin Rose and myself, Gedalik Ntai Knishbachal's home front, covering Israel's biggest conflict in a generation. Hello, Benjamin. Hello, Gedalia. Notice that the amount of rocket attacks are ticking up again. There were about 179 in the last 24 hours. Do we know where they come from? Presumably the south. Mostly from the south, yes. But there's actually one Syrian drone I was reading that the one that hit a lot a week ago actually came from Syria originally. Which is incredible. I still don't understand how it got all the way there from north and did it go transit Israel, go via Jordania border, via the sea. Do we have any information on that? It flew over Jordan and basically it flew undetected. There's another serious security breach that we need to be watching out for. Indeed. This is a, a multi-regional conflict, which is a topic we're going to get to uh, during the course of today's podcast. But uh, you wanted to talk more about the prisoners and I do also. Yes. So let's begin by saying that the signs are, as we said yesterday, both sides across the Rubicon. Now we're here messaging basically that it's almost a done deal. Let's not get into the shape of exactly what's going on. How many is going to be exchanged for how long? Because that's going to become clear possibly today or tomorrow if indeed it goes through. But Benjamin, I think that it's going to be wonderful to see, or let's say bittersweet to see those captors back because we don't know what shape they're going to be in. It's a horrific situation. And I was witness visiting the Hostages Forum, which is the organization that represents the families. A few weeks ago, I saw the misery of the families. There's no way to describe what they're going through. But I do want to raise something that we've spoken about, the downsides of this being a ceasefire, unprecedented in the middle of a war. One side is attacking and getting somewhere. And to get some captors back, it's going to hold its fire. What sounds like five days now. There's a man, Rami Igra, former senior member of the Mossad many years who was the director of the Mossad's division for captives and missing persons. And he has been going around series of issues in the last few days, warning Binyamin that this is a disaster in the making. The pressure exerted on the government over this has meant that the government has had to fold and that we are in a situation where we're going to have a ceasefire that he says it's going to be very difficult to restart the fight. We've spoken about that in the last few days. But Rami Igra was on an interview with CNN yesterday with a NATO general who said, indeed, that this is going to be very, very difficult from a military standpoint to restart for the simple reason that the Hamas will be able to move above ground to restart and to make it much more difficult. This is going to cost possibly soldiers' lives. But there's another point he said, and this is what we're not thinking about. However dreadful Israel's international situation is in terms of the legitimacy in the media environment, it is going to get multiple times worse because well, the IDF spokesman is not really showing the true extent of the devastation to Gaza above ground. In northern Gaza, it's now Dresden. It is flattened. And when Hamas brings foreign media in to show their side, this is going to create an unbearable pressure, which will make it very, very difficult to restart. And that is words from a man from the inside who understands how these things go. And he's saying this is not simple at all. He's against it. I'm going to add to that. I read a research piece by Shai Shabtai, who's a senior researcher at the Begin Sadat Center and a, a former colonel in the reserves now. He's been involved in strategic planning and strategic communications for the IDF. Context, first point he made is that until the end of the 1970s, that Israel's policy on hostages, prisoners, and missing persons was based only on national considerations. They called it the Entebbe Doctrine. Entebbe, of course, was when a Palestinian terrorist hijacked a plane to Uganda. And of course, uh, Israel sent troops there and had a miraculous rescue. But the reason why they sent troops there to do the rescue, number one, it was easier then because they were all in one building. Uh, but because at that time, the doctrine was no deals, no prisoner swaps, nothing. 
Now, that changed with what he referred to as the Jibril Agreement of 1985, where under Shimon Peres, Israel released well over 1,000 terrorists in return for three Israeli prisoners. And ever since then, Israel's policy has been, okay, we're going to do these hostage negotiations and uh, make these kinds of deals. Just to summarize very quickly, uh, Shai Shabtai gave about five reasons why it would be bad for the nation to negotiate the release of the captives as part of a comprehensive deal. Number one, it damages Israel's strategy. And that's, I think, what you mentioned, that our goal is to basically put Hamas out of existence. And when you're negotiating with them, you're legitimizing. That was point number one. Point number two, which is really part of point number one also, it'll cause damage to our military operations. As you said, it's going to cause a delay in the continued military campaign, and we don't know whether he will get back to it. He mentioned things also damage to moral clarity and the erosion of the positions of Israel and the U.S. in the Middle East. Because again, when our enemies see that we're desperate to make deals with them, then it basically takes away a lot of our deterrent power. And basically our strength is the basis for continued partnerships with the moderate Arab nations who made peace with us or who joined the Abraham Accords. And if they see that we give in and we're showing weakness, then it makes them less likely to want to do business with us. And finally, he said that Hamas doesn't even really want to deal. He says that they understand that its very existence is at stake and they're holding onto the hostages has one object, to be involved in endless negotiations in order to undermine our military campaign. So they'll let 50 hostages go, maybe 70 hostages go. It'll be welcome, especially for them and their families. On the other hand, there's still going to be 150, 200 hostages left, and these negotiations are going to go on and on. And it'll be another five-day ceasefire, and then a 10-day ceasefire, and then basically Hamas will have seized the initiative. That's to me the most compelling reason. It's something I've been thinking about. Just do the maths over here. If we're letting out 50 to 70 out, 240, this could be rolling serious negotiations in which the fighting is kind of like the filler in between the main course of these captive exchanges. And as you say, the seize the initiative. Binyamin, let me just highlight something that sometimes it takes actually seeing video footage of what's actually going on to really highlight the terrible, terrible dilemma that Israeli decision faces. There was an interview Ynet did with the commander of the Jerusalem Brigade, which is somewhere in Gaza, is actually keeping that humanitarian corridor open along the Salah Adin road that we spoke about right at the beginning of the conflict. And you see the footage of them. There's the interview being conducted and he's explaining, look at these columns of streams of Gazans with their pitiful packages on their back and going in their plastic bags and going south. Then in the middle, and this is the most chilling thing, you hear an announcement actually from one of the soldiers over a loudspeaker. And he's saying, children who speak Ivrit, run over here. Lola fachet, lola fachet. And what's that about? They suspect that possibly some of the captives are being taken, you know, in the skies, are taken south in these columns of refugees. And that really highlighted the terrible, terrible dilemma that is going through over here. Because what do you do? This is not like any conventional war of two armies that had met in the field, which is Israel has faced in the past. This is a war. You're trying to get back captives. You don't know where they are inside a civilian population at the same time to fight the very same people. It's like playing both sides of the chessboard at once. It's very, very, very difficult. But I think that when we get bogged down in what's happening in North and South Gaza, we can miss some of this bigger strategic picture. And I think you had something to say on the topic. It's a treacherous battle all around. And what I wanted to add to what you said before 
is that this is really a regional war. We saw a couple of days ago where the Houthis captured a ship in the Red Sea and they're holding it captive right now. I also read an article by Jonathan Spire, who's a Middle East analyst. He wrote in the Jerusalem Strategic Tribune, both you and I have interviewed Jonathan over the years. He's extremely knowledgeable on what goes on in the Arab world. He spent time in Syria, he spent time in Lebanon. And in a piece that's really worth reading for those who are interested in all the ins and outs of the different players in the conflict here, he talks about, firstly, how often American positions have been attacked by Iran during this war and how the U.S. has barely fought back. That's one point he makes. The second point is that there are so many actors in this game right now, especially on the potential Syrian-Lebanese front. Besides Syria, besides Iran, you've got all sorts of militias from Iraq, from Iran, local militias in Syria, that all of these people come from different tribes, they have different interests, and unfortunately, one of their interests is in causing as much harm and damage to Israel as possible. Now, they're not all connected to each other, and a lot of them are just loosely related. But still, the fact that there's so many of these different groups on and near and around our borders makes life extremely difficult uh, for the military planners and the strategists. I commend them for the job that they're doing, but uh, they really have their work cut out for them. They've got to look a lot further than Gaza, uh, what's going on over the border between Israel and Lebanon, because there's a lot happening in the east. And from the South, that can come back to give us a lot of trouble. If I could summarize what's being said over there, I think we may have raised this as certainly something I've thought about. I think this war is falsely mischaracterized as kind of Israel-Hamas war. This is the Israel and Iran proxy war. And as they built the ring of steel around Israel over 20 years, it's been threatening to emerge into the opening. Now it has something far more than we thought. But now let me just raise one last point, which is to get back from the macro onto something micro that may have been missed over here, which is an interesting thing. The Israeli military intelligence called Amman has a unit, 504, which is people may be aware is the unit that, you know, calls up, drops leaflets over Gaza and tells people to evacuate and gives these places phone calls and, and warnings and text messages to get all those northern Gazans streaming to the south. The unit actually announced as part of the general PR that goes on in amongst from individual units, they announced what they'd been doing the war so far. And something struck me. This unit is not just the leaflet and text message unit. It's also responsible for running agents inside amongst Palestinians. And what has struck me was the following thing. They said, we've opened after the start of this war, a new department for the South. What does that mean? I.e. Gaza. In other words, they say that we're now back in the business of running agents, collaborators inside amongst the Palestinians in Gaza, not just in the West Bank, which in other words, once again, we don't have to rely just on drone or intelligence or signals, intelligence, interceptions or phone calls, for example, but what's called human intelligence, which is the most spies, that is the most useful intelligence. And for me, when I saw an announcement like this, it emphasizes the fact that this was entirely absent. There was no Amman Southern Gaza division, apparently, till now, because that it highlights just how bankrupt and failed was the old model the idea we could retreat behind walls, we could have high-tech defenses and have no eyes and ears on the ground because over the years it's been well known that the old Fatah PLO were very easy to penetrate in intelligence terms. They were corrupt since you could recruit agents and then Hamas, far more ideologically coherent and impenetrable. It was very difficult to recruit agents. But the fact is this shows, Benjamin, what has been happening over the years this erosion of Israel just didn't have those sources. And no wonder that we had this blindness that led to the October the 7th. 
And at the end of the campaign, when we finally do have an investigative commission that looks into all of the dreadful lack of preparation that caused this to happen, that's definitely one of the most important factors is going to be raised. The fact that, again, boots on the ground is a lot more meaningful than, uh, as you said, hiding behind walls. And technology has its advantages and its pluses, but you can't replace human intelligence. Right. And that's suitably intelligent note, Binyamin. I wish all of our listeners a good day. And to Mr. Shambhasuras Tavis, if the captives are released, they should come back with Shalom and who knows what trouble that I have to deal with. As much as we talk about the downsides of the deal, these are human beings and fellow Jews have suffered tremendously. And we have to stand for them. We have to stand for Amisrael. Binyamin, I wish you a good day to you and all the listeners.